Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Backbench Drivers. I'm your host, John Lawson, and with me here, as always, is my co-host, Matthew. For the first time ever, we're joined by a very important guest, Gabriel Mare. He's the host of Australia First, which streams on YouTube and I think maybe also Rumble. He's a big personality on Twitter, now known as X. And all around, he's been a solid political activist for nationalist politics for years now. Uh, he's a, He's got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to share with us. So welcome, guys, to the pod. Thank you for having me on. No worries. Yeah, yeah we uh, chatted the other day live on uh, the Dusty Bogan stream, if anyone uh, caught that. And yep. um, it's uh, glad to have you here. We can talk more about your story. Um, yeah. We also want to go more into depth on the recent crime wave, which has been unfolding thanks to changing demographics in Australia, and also a bit about your time in America. Um, so if there's nothing that you wanted to jump into first, um, I'll just ask you, what's your story? How did you get started in politics, your political activism career, and uh, how did that lead to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, once again, thank you to Matthew and uh, John here for inviting me on to their podcast. It's it's a, it's an honor for sure. And um, yeah, so answering your question, um, how I got started into politics is it's a long story from my from my side anyway, because I have been I have been all over the shop and, and I am to and I'm, you know, uh, continuously evolving and, and learning as time goes on. I obviously don't know everything. I'm only uh, 21 years old, but um, I'm learning and I'm getting there. Um, but my journey starts um, 2016 or uh, late 2016, early uh, early 2017 with the elections of Donald Trump in the US. That that was a real eye opener because Donald Trump he had you know he had a great personality. He he was a hit in politics in America, and that spread worldwide as we clearly know now, and he, and he still has that personality and he still has that effect on people. Um, and um, at that time, that really captivated my mind. And I I really, you know, I, I took a deep dive into U.S. politics. I followed everything. I watched all the rallies, the Proud Boys, um, you know, uh, the Oath Keepers, all of this stuff going on. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Michael Dole's, uh Ben Shapiro at that time. So I guess you could say I was a right-wing libertarian. Um, this was 2017. Um, yeah, and you, and, you know, from then on, I, I just followed Donald Trump and, and didn't really focus too much on um, Australian politics because at that time, I thought Australian politics was boring and dull. And to an extent, it kind of is, but I, I was still young and really didn't understand how important it was for me to know politics about, you know, my own uh, background, uh, um, you know, yard, basically, and, you know, that sort of thing. But um, so, so yeah, um, you know, I, I continue to follow Donald Trump and, and the political scene, Ben Shapiro, those types. Uh, I was a big fan of Israel, of course, <laughs> as most, uh, you know, quote-unquote conservatives are in America, although that's quickly changing, thank goodness. Um, yeah, so we, around 2018, um, I had a little revelation. I I saw, well, I watched this documentary called um, Europa, The Last Battle, and um, I, it was recommended to me 
uh, through some friends um, that I've met, and and they were also right wing libertarians, mind you, and they well that's what they said anyway. <laughs> and I went through a little stage, a little rebellious stage, um, you know, a very a very unoptical stage at that time. Um, and you know, I, I guess you could say I became a little fashy. Um, but um, you know, I slowly matured. I guess I was still young, and I moved on from that. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of drifted in and out of that stage for a little while. Uh, my my biggest upgrade from that would be uh, moving on to twenty twenty. Uh, well, late late twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. Um, that's when the lockdown started, or I should say, rather, um, COVID nineteen, and then the lockdowns. That's when I became a you know absolute freedom guy. You know, freedom this, freedom that. I, I let go of my fashy stage. I kind of left that behind because I was solely focused on you know COVID nineteen and that sort of thing. And I was still young at the time. You know, didn't know too much. And um, I attended almost all the rallies. I went to the biggest one, uh, Sydney's first rally. Uh, I think it was held by um, WWW uh, Worldwide. Um, I, forgot, I forgot the name, sorry. But it, it, it's a massive uh, libertarian protest organization. And they organized a rally in Sydney. Um, around 20,000 people showed up. or well, that's what they say, according to ABC News. But I showed up and you know it was as you could imagine police were there horses carriages ready to make arrests uh we did overpower them though in terms of numbers so they they didn't really do much um but but unfortunately i stayed a little bit too long and some of the stragglers i guess you could say the people that are left behind um you know uh, police started to target them and arrest them and um I was one of those guys, unfortunately, <laughs> and because I was there so early, police already had an eye on us, and we were handing out literature. So we we're handing out, um, we we're actually handing out Christian, um, Christian literature. So we we're just passing them around to people from our backpacks, and the police were watching us. They didn't have, make a move on us, but they were watching us. And so when they caught up with me, they, you know, uh, detained me, took my details down, and. And they asked me, are you one of the organizers for the rallies? Because I was there so early. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I was there with a couple of friends. And um, two months after that event, I continued to go to rallies and participate in activism, you know, for the freedom movement and that sort of thing. Uh, but New South Wales police continued to, um, <laughs> they continue to follow me. So I'll leave my home and there'll be a white car parked outside my driveway and the guy will have an iPad, and I'll see him take pictures of my car, my number plates. It was pretty crazy because, if you don't recall, at that time, police were insane. They were going from house to house, knocking on doors, arresting pregnant women for posting on um, on Facebook. It, it was a crazy time at that time. So, I mean, like, that wasn't really uncommon. But now that I look back on it, you know, it, it was insane. And, and, and police just harassed me from time to time. They'll, they'll pull me over. Uh, you know, just to do a, um, a breath check, that sort of thing. There were, uh, I remember one time parking my car at Coles. I was buying just a normal guy, right? I'm just buying burgers 
um, for Monday because I, I start work on Monday and I need, I need obviously, I need lunch. So I'm going to buy lunch for Monday. Like, you know, just a normal guy. And I parked my car and I'm like the only car in the parking yard. And there's like five, you know, like five or five or ten, just a couple lying around. And this car that was behind me parked in front of me, stayed there. And I, I didn't move because I, I already knew that police were kind of following me a bit um, or following me around. Uh, so I stayed there and this guy came out with a mask and I saw on his collar, he had like a little tag or, or of some sort, like a, like a, like, um, um, uh, those event tags that you have, um, usually security wears them and, you know, stuff like that, like an ID and he had it around his neck. I could see a little tag there. He did, obviously wasn't showing. He had a mask on, had that little blue strap around his neck and, he looked at me for like a split second. It wasn't, it looked normal, I guess, but um, I knew what was up. He looked at me and then walked inside. Um, after that, I'm like, okay, uh, this is weird. I didn't think too much of it. I, <laughs> I then went to Woolly, uh, Coles, did my thing, came out, and I didn't see him in there for the whole time I was inside Coles. Didn't see him, nothing. Um, so I don't know what happened to him. But then I came outside, sat in my car, and then his car turned on. And then he drove off. I'm like, that's weird. Like, oh, that's strange. And that's one of the many strange cases I had going on, including them stopping me and, and, and parking outside my home, or my driveway, I should say. Um, yeah, and, and that's what really made me um, a big freedom guy. I met a lot of the freedom guys in the movement, the, you know, a lot of them libertarians, <laughs> pot smokers, you know, those types, a lot of hippies. But that was my crowd for you know, uh, during my time, uh, uh, during COVID-19 and anyway, so that happened on and off, uh, COVID ended and oh, just before COVID ended, actually, um, I was scrolling through Instagram and this is where it all changed. I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this clip. I think, I think I clearly remember the, uh, the account. I think it was called Canadian Autist. I believe, <laughs> and and it was a clip of Nick Fuentes. Um, he was talking about uh, demographics, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Um, and I, I liked what he was saying. I wasn't like on board with it, but I'm like, okay, this guy's well spoken. He's funny, interesting. Okay, I, I clicked on the account and I scrolled down. He's, you know, obviously it's full of Nick Fuentes clips. I clicked on one of them, and in, and in one of the clips, he was talking about women, and at that time, I'm like, okay, I don't like what I'm hearing. Cause <laughs> you got to remember, I, was, uh, I wasn't very knowledgeable about a lot of things. I was a feminist. I wasn't, you know, Israel first type of guy, you know, uh, libertarian. So when I heard him, uh, when I heard he was talk the, the way he was talking about women, it kind of upset me. And I showed some of my friends. I'm like, oh, this guy's disgusting. This guy's a lunatic. He's wrong, whatever. He's, he, he's a neo-Nazi, that sort of thing. And for a while, that's what I believed in. I'm like, okay, this this Nick Fuentes guy just pisses me off. I'm I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't like him. Um, and yeah, and it was like that for like at least three months. And then you know, for some reason, his charisma, the way he carried himself, the way he laughed, the way he made jokes, the way he phrased certain things and packaged them for these uh, for his audience, it just appealed to me. And I really liked what I was hearing over time. His personality grew onto me. And I'm like, you know what? 
it'll be. I really, really do hope there's someone like this in Australia. Uh, you know, uh, someone like Nick uh, doing what he's doing. You know, Australia first. And I'm like, one day I hope to do Australia first. I want to start Australia first. And that was just a random thought in my head. And I, you know, at that time I was consuming a lot of his content. I was watching all his streams, and I slowly became a paleocon conservative, a uh, conservative or a groper, uh, a big follower of Nick. I had a couple of accounts with his clips, that sort of thing. Um, I was scrolling on Instagram again. Uh, this was a little while after. This is three months after finding him, and I saw this account. It was called Australia First. I'm like, oh wow, this is interesting. So I clicked on it, and there was a clip of a gentleman by the name of Joshua Howes. And I'm like, okay, I clicked on it, and it was Nick reacting to Joshua Howes. And I'm like, okay, we have, a, we have an Australia First guy here. I'm like, this is so cool. And I reached out to, to Mr. Joshua Howes, and, and uh, we kind of, you know, our friendship kind of started there. You know, we talked a lot over Instagram. I watched uh, some of his streams and participate in activism held by him and organized by him. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is a, this is our Australia first guy. I'm going to support him as much as I can and then try and be, you know, uh, there for him in time of need and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, as time progressed, you know, this, we're kind of moving a bit closer to, um, our present time, but, um, you know, um, I think it was a year uh, I supported Josh and watched Nick, and I was a full-on groper. I had multiple accounts. I was trolling on Instagram. I was still young, you know, having fun, being being a little little silly groper. Um, sometimes immature, you know, but that's part of growing up. Um, but then, um, yeah, uh, Joshua uh, unfortunately stopped streaming, and you know, he 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 kind of. He he tried to rebrand um, Australia First, and I'm like, okay. Um, I kind of like the name Australia First and that sort of thing, and I was I was kind of conflicted. I, I really didn't know what to think. And then I'm like, okay, Josh can do his show, and then I can do Australia First. And I'm like, oh, and I talked to Josh about it. We talked about it extensively, and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll be happy for you. To, I'll be happy for you to do Australia First. I'm like, great. So and he supported me. I supported him back with his Christ First show, and and that's how I ended up doing Australia First, talking about nationalist, uh, you know, talking about Australian pol uh, politics from a nationalist perspective. Um, ever since, that's kind of my story, roughly, uh, without going too much, you know, uh, in detail. But um, yeah, it's basically, yeah, no, it. it's definitely an interesting story. Thank you for telling us. Um, I yeah, think it reflects sure. uh, a lot of people's story, their progression through politics, where they begin. Yeah. Uh, they know something's not right in the present society or in Australia, and they mm. look around for answers. And so often we've found, um, you know, American equivalents, uh, or across the whole uh, Western world, we, we find equivalents and slowly make our way towards closer and closer towards the truth. And um, yeah. for many, this means a conversion to Christianity. I know that you... Um, did change denominations as part of uh, as part of your story. Um, yeah, and, that, and mm. for others, it, it also just mm. means a political evolution. Um, mm. So, yeah, maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about how you uh, have um, become. Well, I don't know if you're uh, baptized yet, but you're moving mm. towards the Catholic Church, correct? And yep. um, and also maybe talk a little bit about your present day 
you know, involvements with police because you went a little bit into it before, but you just had a recent <laughs> incident where the mm. police accosted you as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah. So, m- most people I have, you know, held conversations with, you know, political slash religious conversations with, they usually say um, that uh, their religion influenced their politics. Um, and that's a very common thing to hear. For me, funny enough, it was the other way around. My politics influenced my religious de- uh, decisions. Um, and it, <laughs> it's weird how it works, but that's how it was for me personally. So I grew up since, I'll, well, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Now, um, well, I was, ba- I was baptized in- into the SDA church. I was, uh, you know, I participated in, in their youth activities, that sort of thing. I was a very active member of the SDA church or the Seventh-day Adventist church, if you will. Um, but I s- <laughs> slowly over time, I got into politics uh, as the years progressed. I, I started to get a bit of resistance from my fellow SDA members or churchgoers, because the SDA church teaches that separation of church and state is the way to go. Um, and, and because of that, you cannot get political. So I'm not sure if you remember, but there was a, um, a U.S. presidential candidate by the name of Ben, ben Carson, or Ben Carlson, um, who is an SDA member. Yeah, but he but he is an SDA member, um, and uh, and basically the SDA church wrote a statement saying we do, we do not endorse or support this man because we believe in blah 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 blah, which was the separation of church wow. and state. And they went on into it. Usually, you don't see that. You know, if you see a Catholic um, uh, a Catholic uh, male running for office or, or or any of that sort of thing, um, you will see. Uh, priests supporting him and the congregation and maybe even the church, depending on how big it is. Uh, but with, but but in the SDA case, they fully, uh, I wouldn't say denounced him, but they kind of, well, in a way they did, but they kind of separated themselves from him and they said that he's doing this independently. We don't endorse him. We don't do whatever. So, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. If you want to do something great in the world, if you, if you want to do something good, righteous and holy, wouldn't you want your ideas to be at the forefront, um, you know, in the political world? I mean, pushed into, you know, society. Um, the only way to do that is through politics. You know, you, you of course, uh, preaching and, and uh, passing around literature is great, but you've got to make a bigger difference. You've got to enter into the elite forum and start preaching the gospel from there and implementing change from there because that's the, that's the way the world works and that's the way you're going to have to do it. Everyone's done that, you know. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's strange. And I used to think about these things a lot. And I used to, um, you know, like I said, I used to get a lot of criticism from members in the church. Oh, you're a Donald Trump supporter? Oh, do you know that, you know, he's, he's not a, um, that, he, that, that he likes Catholics and that he talks with Catholics? Because the SDA church, if you don't know, they're very anti-Catholic. And they believe that Catholics will one day persecute uh, non Sunday keeping uh, Christians <laughs> like themselves. 
Um, but yeah, look, that's a whole different topic. Like, yeah, but I, I do recommend you know do some research into this cult. It's uh, it, it is a cult in in in, in many ways, uh, and they hide their tracks well. Did but, your family yeah, support the- you switching? Um. Well, my immediate fam my my immediate family did. Uh, my father is Catholic already, um, so he, but he's not that religious. He just you know he he was one of those cultural Catholics. You know he was baptized, uh, christened. He was that, Italian. But... He was Italian. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's so what he did. Classic. Say. Yeah, he. <laughs> yeah, he's just an Italian Catholic. You know, culturally, of course. Um, but um, yeah, so. <sighs> What was I saying? Sorry. Um, he, yeah, so like, I guess he kind of influenced me, I guess, in a certain sense. You know, he was very traditional. He didn't believe in contraception um, and that sort of thing. And, and, all, and all these ideas I took on and applied to my political beliefs. Um, and But, yeah, my, my immediate family supported me. My extended family, not so much. In fact, um, more than half of them do not talk to me to this day. Uh, I was kind of shunned. So, Sorry, I mean, to you. like, yeah, well, thanks. But, like, uh, he, yeah, so uh, I was basically shunned away from my family, you know, uh, cousins that I grew up with since, you know, as long as I could remember. Some of them I held in my arms. And, yeah, and, like, you know, they just fully cut me off, you know, including two of my grandparents. Um, and now, slowly, even my, my other grandfather is slowly cutting me off, not because of the religious stuff, but because of my politics. Which is unfortunate, but um, yeah. So yeah, like that was a a rough spot for me, um, a real rough spot. Um, but that was one of the things that really opened my eyes about the church. You know, the fact that they had hospitals that did abortions, uh, the fact that many of the members shunned away people that questioned the faith, but somehow it was okay for them to talk to a drug addict and allow them in their family home and do that sort of thing, which I saw. You know, like they would allow people that were prostitutes and drug addicts into their home and befriend them and let them be around their kids, which is, I mean, look, to a certain extent, it's, you know, it's Jesus himself sat with unbelievers and that sort of thing. And it, it, it's fine, I guess, depending on, you know, who they are and, you know, the precautions you take. Um, but while they were doing that, they were shunning me away. You know, I was just a kid that finished uh, high school. Um, I attended church regularly. I was just asking questions. Um, I wasn't going, uh, you know, going around womanizing and, and being inappropriate and, and unchristian or unholy. I was just asking fair questions, like why is it, why is the Seventh-day Adventist Church doing abortions for when it says in the Bible, you know, thou shalt not kill? Um, and they'll get upset with me. And then I'll talk about Ellen um, G. White, um, who's a prophetess of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, kind of like Joseph Smith. Um, or, or, well, kind of like the Mormons and, you know, all those restorationist movements that sprung up in the 1800s. And I'll question, I'll question her writings and question uh, the early founders of the SDA Church, and, you know, for that reason, I was shunned. Um, but then, you know, because I believed in, you know... Things like abortion's bad, you know, contra- uh, contraception's bad. I believed, I, be- I believed in authority. I was listening a lot to Nick Fuentes and that sort of thing. And 
slowly I started to look into Catholicism. I looked into the early church fathers, you know, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, you know. Um, um, uh, yeah, I, I just looked through the whole list. I read there. Uh, I was looking through Wikipedia and I was just looking at all this stuff because the SDA church does not teach church church history because to them it was blasph- you know it was it was apostasy um it was wrong because they worshiped on sunday and that sort of thing <laughs> so um yeah well so like i the, didn't i've never heard journey. any of that i didn't realize how far gone they were that's that's amazing <laughs> crazy yeah it, i know it, yeah it's insane it's insane because well thank goodness <laughs> that you've moved yeah. in a better direction and uh there aren't many that I that break out of that. Once your family is uh, pushing you one way, I can imagine it'd be really difficult to, you know, to pick up and leave. Um, but of course, Christ says that he came, that his word will divide families. And um, as, as yeah. unfortunate as it is, I'm sure that you'll take some consolation in that. What you're doing uh, makes, uh, like, it, it actually makes sense to you now. And, and it, you're following a, a path that uh, isn't isn't really ludicrous uh you know like uh some some of these things that i'm hearing now about seventh day adventist is and also that uh of course you'll feel that you're you're under the authority of uh the catholic church i'm orthodox but i'd say catholics are a lot closer than uh seventh day adventists are by the sound of things oh yeah absolutely yeah no no for sure i mean they are part of the apostolical church like orthodox you know they kind of have that succession Do they uh, really? the apostles I did not realize uh, oh, that. Well, no, not SDAs. I'm talking more about Catholics and Oh, Orthodox. Catholics, yes. Sorry, yes, yeah, Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, SDAs, like, SDAs are not even, like, Protestant. They're more, like, restorationist uh, types. So, like, you know, uh, uh, the LSD and, you know, um, churches like that, uh, Mormons and whatnot, um, yeah, they well. sprung up around, you know, 18, uh, the mid-1800s. Um, and their whole message was Protestant Protestantism has apostatized, and so they were Roman... Protestants of Protestants, really. So you're <laughs> yeah. Protestant exception, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but, yeah, uh, but... Gabe, yes. What what kind of drives the the vitriol in these um these Protestant and um uh, circles? What what drives the, such hatred of Catholics, especially? Um. Look, honestly, all their hatred. Oh well, I mean, coming from an, I guess I can only speak from an SDA perspective. I'm not sure what it's like with other Protestants, but I'm sure it's all the same. Um, in varying, you know, um, what drives their hatred of Catholics? It's it's a great question. I truly believe that their hatred of Catholics comes from the founders of the SDA Church, um, like Ellen G. White and her and her husband who hated Catholics for some reason, but, um, oh, and also they are Freemasons. So it was proven that she had various connections with Freemasons and, um, that sort of thing, different orders. Um, so I, look at, at the end of the day, it's all satanic, you know, it's Satan that uses different people to promote a message of hate rather than, rather than that of love. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in like a wokeish kind of way. I mean that in a more Christian type of manner. Because, like I said, these people, my, my own family, rather have a prostitute around their family dressed inappropriately, let's say, than me because I questioned the SDA faith. Like, how is that Christian? Like, that was the one thing that really woke me up. 
And, you know, to answer, to answer your question shortly, like I said, it's purely satanic. Um, I, I really don't, don't know what else to say. It's, it's Satan's influence over the early church uh, founders, um, the SEA early church founders, I should say, and other Protestant denominations. And his goal is division, hatred, and confusion. And honestly, that's all you find in Protestantism is confusion and hatred for each other and for the Catholic and apostolical, you know, traditions. Yeah. Yeah, um, switching topics here, um, as you said prior in your history, you faced a lot of um, uh, police resistance in the freedom movement during COVID. Mm. Uh, recently, um, you organised a defence of the Cook statue in Sydney after the vandalism of a similar Cook statue in the city of Port Phillip. Can you describe what happened and, and how you were treated by police? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm sure John can remember. He actually gave me a, a call, and he um, <laughs> he's like, "Hey, would you like to um, go down to Sydney and defend the Captain Cook statue? We have a guy in Perth. We have a guy in I think it was in Brisbane. Um, Hayes Media was down there, and I was like, okay, I only have five hours to prepare. You know what? I'll do it. So I went went on the train with 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 a friend of mine. Um, and we're meeting another guy there. So it was three of us, all three of us were going to go and stand by the statue overnight. Uh, that was the plan. Um, because of the recent attacks of the statue, uh, the Captain Cook statue in, in, in Melbourne. Um, so we went on the train, we walked up the road to the statue in Hyde Park. <laughs> it was around 10, oh, sorry. It was around 10, 20 at night. 10 20 p.m and we met the guy we went to the statue we were there for seven minutes um and then oh well we're taking a picture one of the guys was taking a picture with me and i was my back was towards the statue as i'm sure you guys can see in the article uh there's two articles of me i was my back was towards the statue we're holding an australian flag and two of my boys they had masks on because you know of um, Antifa, uh, you know, attempting to dox various patriots and that sort of thing and make them lose their jobs, which is unfortunate. But they, they were cautious and they brought masks along to, to cover their identity solely for that purpose. We're not criminals or anything, <laughs> like police suggested, which we'll get to. Uh, we're taking a picture and there's these, we heard these heavy footsteps just pounding on the ground behind us. I'm like, okay, that's a bit strange. We didn't turn around or anything. We didn't give any sudden reactions, but police came up. There were three of them, um, one older gentleman and a female and an Asian copper. And uh, they came up behind us and they're like, okay, guys, relax. Don't make any sudden movements. We just, we, we, had a, we, we received a call from the general public and we're here to conduct a search. And you were detained, you know, they said what they had to say. And the way the police carried themselves, like, I'm, I was the only one without a mask. And I'm just looking at them like, okay, relax, dude. It's all right. You know, chill. And this guy, his eyes were wide open. He was ready, for, like, to pounce on me if need be. And I'm like, this is kind of ridiculous. We're holding a statue. There's two guys with masks on, which I'm sure that was the concern the main concern of police, but I'm here without a mask. So it doesn't make any sense. I'm not, we're not here to make, we're not here to commit any crimes. That's ridiculous. So I th it was a very exaggerated, um, you know, 
it was a, it was done in a very exaggerated manner. I would say. If only they'd been that uh, that attentive when they were cutting it, uh, the statue down in Victoria <laughs> with actual angle grinders. Yeah. Like, that, like you said, that's not a quick process. I think you mentioned on a different stream, on Dusty's stream. That's not yeah. a quick process. That takes a second. And yeah, there was no report, no follow-up. They didn't tackle them. As far as I know, there are no arrests made. Um, mm-hmm. No uh, SWAT teams breaking down doors like we've seen with nationalists who do a peaceful protest. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. So you, it, the response is completely disproportionate, and they oh, yeah. they uh, they tackled you guys to the floor, kind of. No, or they were just searching, not searching um, you for any uh, stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Well, no, that's spot on. That's correct. Like the 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 attack on the statues in Melbourne, that would have taken at least thirty minutes. I mean, they had like um, an angle grinder and a hacksaw. Now I use those tools on a daily basis, and they're pretty loud. I'm sure. Someone, someone would have heard that sound, and also they splashed paint in two places um, in the Queen, uh, the Queen Victoria Monument, as well as Captain Cook and the steps of Captain Cook's statue in St Kilda. I think it was in. So, I mean, that you know, that would have taken a while. But yeah, like it's, it's ridiculous. But going back to my story, like um, yeah, so they didn't tackle us to the ground, but they they did say, okay, we're gonna. Step over here. Step into the into the open clearing because we were near the statue. They wanted us away from the statue. I don't, I really don't know why, but it was very exaggerated. I don't know what they were thinking. They're probably thinking that we'll just splash paint on it and then like get arrested or something. I, I I really don't know. It's ridiculous. But we dropped what we had, dropped our backpack. We moved a bit away from the statue. They sat us down on the floor, like criminals. Like I'm like, okay, it's ridiculous. They removed my backpack. They took out my ID and, you know, they did their little thing. They searched me up and asked questions. They asked, are you with any organization? I'm like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not with any organization. What's your name? Et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. They did that with everyone and they made the boys take their masks off, which is, you know, um, I guess understandable, but they wouldn't allow the boys to put their masks back on. Now, someone obviously dobbed us in. And they were there watching. I'm pretty sure they were there watching in the corner around the bushes. Um, I'm sure, John, you know, like there's bushes around the statue and stuff in Hyde Park. Yeah, I'm familiar. Um, yeah. And like, these I'm people sh- are quite mm-hmm. used to hi- watching in the corner, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they are. They're ready with their camera, like uh, yeah. like Mr. Sam from Alternative Media, right, who likes to cower in the corner and take pictures of patriots and dox them. Um but anyway, um, yeah, and like, oh, I've got to mention, there was only a couple people around the statue that were sitting around on mats, and they were, like, drinking wine and eating crackers or, you know, just, like, a bunch of couples having a romantic night out, I guess you could say. So we, it wasn't like we were the only ones there, but, um, you know, we, we weren't doing anything weird or anything. We were, you know, we were just there in front of the statue talking, holding a flag and taking pictures, and, and that happened. But yeah, so uh, police sat us down, um, searched our bags, threw everything on the floor. We had to pack it up later on. And then they gave us a move-on order, a move-on direction, which is illegal because we weren't committing an offense. No one was there. It was just us. We were there. They searched our bags. There there wasn't any paint or any hammers or hacksaws or whatever. There was nothing there to, um, you know... um, uh, commit the criminal act of, of, of vandalism. Nothing was there. And, and um, so, yeah, they moved us on without any reason. 
There wasn't a crowd there of Antifa members, nothing. There was absolutely no reason for them to move us on, but yet they did, and that was illegal. Now, uh, from my understanding, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but you have to commit um, an act of disruption, or you have to be disruptive in any manner or any sort of way around a crowd of people to be moved on, you know? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. It doesn't add up. Um, and I believe one of the boys that was there, he's on Twitter, uh, Native Australian Zuma. He, 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 I'm not going to say what he does, but he attempted to get the recording off the arrest and police told him they deleted the footage. I'm like, okay, now that's interesting. It, it hasn't been that long. It's not even a month and they already deleted the footage. I'm like, okay, they, they clearly, clearly they're covering up their tracks and they know that we will use that footage to show the injustice of New South Wales police towards nationalists and patriots. Yeah, I think that st- story perfectly outlines the the two standards that police uh, use in this country. One standard to right-wing conservatives, Catholics, Christians, and another to left-wing or migrant groups. And we see this contrast uh, punctuated by the recent tragedy uh, related um, in Ipswich around the murder of Valine White by a bunch of Africans over a car, which carries on from a long trend of African and um, Aboriginal crime in Queensland and other parts of Australia. We see uh, this week an abduction assault of a lady in Forest Lake over a robbery gone wrong, um, African stabbing dogs over Facebook market pace deals going wrong. This kind of stuff keeps spitballing. Yet police don't seem to do anything whilst they target, you know, guys peacefully protecting a statue of one of the, the finest men in Australia. It, so why is there a, um, a different standard that police use for right-wingers and for others, Gabe? Uh, well, I mean, clearly, yeah. I mean, there's a they do have a bias. And they are following orders from, you know, their commanders and their officers and, you know, and their commanders and officers and their commanders and officers are following orders from uh, their superiors, you know, their elite and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Australia's elite, uh, they hate Christians and they hate uh, white people, you know, they hate um, anything to do with Australia, you know, you know, like like we see, um, you know, uh, nationalists all around the country getting tackled down, arrested by police, moved on. Yet when, oh, um, I believe you said, um, uh, the did you mention the? Sorry, I, I was you were kind of cutting off a little bit, but did you mention the stabbing of of um, Mrs. Yes. White? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, so like you see the attack of a white woman by a bunch of immigrants. Now, I, I believe that the 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 man that attacked her wasn't even born in this country, um, from my understanding, or I was told that at least. I could be wrong. But the reason why they cover up these things is because, you know, well, they hate Australia and they continue to flood this country with migrants or immigrants and, and that sort of thing from third world uh, countries. Now, if they were to promote this story of this African guy attacking this white woman, that would bring public outrage and they would have to kind of come out and say, all right, we're going to stop immigration or we're going to be stricter or they're going to have to implement some sort of measure 
to you know kind of stop the flow um, of of migrants to this country, which they don't want to do. They want to continue to do to water down uh, Australian identity um, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I mean, it really, it all comes from um, Australia's elite. Um, and they they so happen to hate this country. You know, it wasn't always like this. We had uh, a we had an elite that loved this country, loved the people of Australia, and they had laws and regulations, uh, you know, regarding immigration to protect her identity. But you know, now we don't see that anymore. Well, it would be. Um disadvantageous for a nationalist movement or a nationalist sentiment to rise up in a country that has been uh, intentionally brought under the ideology of multiculturalism and for it was done uh, this ideology was imposed for the purpose of um, I think mainly economic gain but also political gain um, I'll elaborate on that a little bit so um, by bringing in unlimited numbers of, of people especially from the third world or from the second world, um, Australia has been able to, uh, the Australian uh, political class and our uh, business leaders have been provided a glut of unlimited cheap labour that um, that can be put to work, uh, you know, manufacturing, well, less so manufacturing, but doing a lot more service jobs, uh, management positions, and uh, basically uh, undercutting the Australian worker that already exists in this country, the white Australian worker. And um, so... I think this is uh, done because uh, people from the third world do expect lower standards. As we saw when Australia was being founded, the union movement organically sp- uh, sprung up out of uh, miners and uh, other other uh, tradesmen to uh, bolster the standards and wages of Australian workers, uh, European mm. Australian workers in this country. Um, mm. So multiculturalism is beneficial in that way and it's also beneficial to the political class because um, I know Labor for certain. Their some of their leading pollsters have encouraged. Oh, sorry, I don't know about pollsters. I mean, uh, think tank employees and um, and uh, organisations have encouraged high immigration because they think that these immigrants will be- uh, become a permanent voting block for uh, the Labor Party and for left wing parties in general. Um, which mm. I think is being borne out. We can look at the American equivalent where. Um, but most of the illegal and legal migrants are voting for the Democratic Party. I think that's also uh, the case over here. Although there is some sort of a delusion, I'm not sure how high in the Liberal Party it goes. Um, I have heard first-hand or second-hand accounts of um, people within the Liberal Party believing that the demographic change in our country is actually going to benefit the Liberals, which uh, you know is our Conservative Party. That seems uh, quite delusional. I don't think that's being borne out mm. in actual fact. Um, but regardless, this is why um, the our political establishment or what you might call the Australian elite is uh, hostile towards Australian nationalism and has to quash examples of it, such as uh, Gabe is expressing. And, mm. um, and so that's why you see the bolstering of multicultural ideology in its place and also the bolstering of immigration and uh, demographic replacement and all these things. Yeah, l- l- like John said, it's... Uh... It's a various, It's a string of disease that has stuck to this country. You know, like it's it's greed. It's all about money. You know, cheap labor. Um, it's it's hate, hate for our history and our people. 
And um, I think know, that's different... definitely a degree as well. Actually, there is some sort of an animosity among Australia's current elite for mm. the old Australia. That's how Graham Campbell, yes. former MP for in Western Australia, described. He calls it the old Australia, and so that mm. would be the Anglo Celts and the Europeans that founded it um, by mm-hmm. our current elite, which is increasingly multiracial, multicultural, and yes. comes from backgrounds which has been propagandized into believing. That um, was that their group was victimised by white Australians in the past, or by white people yeah. in general. You can look at Indians, um, who are often talk uh, told about the history of colonialism and what the British did to their country um, mm. from a from a purely one sided perspective, not looking at any of the benefits that the British provided. Or we can look at the Chinese, and uh, they'll talk about how many Chinese were expelled under the White Australia policy or the Immigration Restriction Act of nineteen oh one. And so, um, and or they might talk about, uh, you have a Jewish segment of the elite, which is also thoroughly opposed to white identity politics because mm. you know, they see a foreshadowing of a future Hitler, which is very paranoid. Um, and so uh, this is something Dr. Frank Salter actually talked about in his book, Anglophobia. And he talked about um, why the uh, all the cultural and political institutions in our country and all the business leaders are so opposed to Anglo identity specifically, but um, he mm. talked more broadly about white identity within Australia. Mm. Um, and he, he even talked, he said that uh, there's a small portion of the blame that can be laid at the feet of, uh, of Irish uh, nationalism and, and uh, the victimisation that they feel. And, yeah. um, and also this, this is explained by uh, the same with Aboriginal groups and, and multicultural groups in general. And that's one of the things I advocate for. I, I, I like to advocate for, you know, white unity. Um, I believe that we have a common enemy, a bigger fish, uh, a bigger fish to fry. And all these petty arguments about, you know, uh, Germans and, you know, um, uh, uh, Austrians and, and all these things, all, the, all these sort of politics back in the homeland and back in Europe, um, they need to be dropped. Even... In, especially in australia you know we are isolated here we don't have any hope really we have to unite as a white people as a white nation as europeans against our common enemy because they hate us they hate italians they hate germans they hate british people they hate everybody uh they hate white people like you clearly stated which is correct so well, maybe we to, to take a little step back for a moment um we often talk mm. we've often heard conservatives establishment conservatives in our country and also, yep. especially in America, talking about the dangers of identity politics and um, about how um, by grouping politics around uh, unchangeable uh, facets of a person's life, for example, their gender um, with feminism or uh, race with various mm. forms of nationalism, that this is a dangerous concept, um, that this is contrary to the, what has made the West great. Um, and I think what Gabe is expressing um, is that uh, what is going to help us to turn our countries around from the path that they're headed down, um, which is demographic uh, replacement, cultural decline, mm. moral decline, a loss of Christianity, is, um, well, we're going to have to actually reinvigorate the people that actually started our civilization in the first place. So in that case, it would yeah. be white people for the West. Um, and so and uh, these divisions among various nationalities within our country although I think they come very naturally to people. Uh, I know, uh, especially with Europeans from the continent, they still feel strongly about their Serbian identity, their Greek identity, their Italian identity. Um, it's only really by uh, seeing that uh, really all white ethnicities 
have a common uh, a common uh, country at, at, uh, that is ready to be lost, that is Australia or in America or Canada or England, um, that, that we all share in common this country which is uh, going under and that we're all going to be at a loss if it does, um, that we can overcome our, our uh, petty uh, controversies and uh, arguments among ourselves and assert a, a broader white identity that um, that could help us to remember what made our, our countries great, remember our ancestors and uh, forefathers that pioneered the Australian nation, uh, even if their role was uh, smaller than others. For example, uh, with uh, Greeks and Italians, you could say that their role in the founding of Australia is lesser than that of Anglo-Celts, who have been on the continent on on the Australian continent for a longer amount of time and have built and uh, and created systems of government uh, where maybe necessarily. Uh, Continental Europeans haven't had such deep roots. Um, I think that there is space in Australia for all Europeans or whites, white Europeans, to come together and see that uh, we can build something greater than the sum of our parts here. Um, if only we'll recognise that uh, we're under threat from um, the current elite, the current business, political, cultural elite that is comprised of uh, many people who are hostile to um to a white identity which could achieve this sorry i went on for a little bit there um so uh maybe we'll move on to our next topic i know that gabe you just came back from a trip in america um what can you say about um uh, the the comparable situation over there to australia we're just talking about african crime here which is comparatively small compared to that of america um, was this your mm-hmm. experience when you were mm-hmm. there? And uh, do you think that Australia is going the same way or do you think that we can avert this? Um, well, to answer your question, I yes, I did go to America. I went, you know, for my little holiday. I I really wanted to go and see uh, Nick Fuentes at AFPAC. Unfortunately, that was cancelled. But I had other things to do in the area. So I was in Arizona for the majority of my stay. Uh and, uh, and and luckily for me, Arizona is a very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice, um, you know, there's a lot of white uh, neighborhoods uh, where crime is not so prevalent. It's, it's very nice. It's a bit hot, but it's okay. Um, um, I, I met some great people. I met Kyle Clifton from Cozy.TV, great gentleman, Ryan, uh, Ryan Sanchez, from, also from Cozy.TV. Um, both are streamers on that platform, so give them a follow. Um, but yeah, um, you know, um, I met some gropers there, met lots of people. Um, so yeah, but like, um, I really didn't see a lot of crime. Like I said, Arizona is a very, you know, the demographics a little bit different over there. Um, it's a very white state. Uh, there's a couple of, well, there's a fair bit of Mexicans obviously because of the Southern border, but not so many, um, black people, but, um, yeah. So I really do think Australia is going down that road like that in America, you know, where black crime is prevalent amongst, you know, its people and that sort of thing. You know, we saw the stabbings of, 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 of Mrs. White in, in Queensland, in Ipswich. And there was a rec- there was another recent one in South of Brisbane. A, um, a lady was abducted and beaten or assaulted. Um, police are not being very informative on the details. They're, they're trying to hide and cover up for this minority group in Australia. Uh, which um, is a very violent group. And, you know, we see that all over the world, you know. Uh, we, we see uh, black crime in America um, skyrocket. 
And we see crime in Britain, you know, where you have these real rap groups that talk about violent acts live on TV and that sort of thing without worry from police. And, you know, they're very brazen, very bold. And I believe that if we keep going the way we are going, um, Australia will unfortunately turn um, like that. You know, we will have gangs, street gangs, we'll have rapings and shootings and killings on a daily basis. Maybe not the same like in America or the UK, but it's going to be, it's going to get increasingly worse. And we don't want that. You know, we, we want a peace-loving society, a Christian society where we can all get along. But unfortunately, you know, like I said, the way things are going, it's going to end up like that. I do believe it can be stopped. You know, it can be stopped if we freeze immigration, if we start, uh, you know, imposing stricter laws um, around, you know, crime and that sort of thing, maybe even deportations of of criminals and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many ways to combat this, but we just need, we need, we need an elite willing to accomplish uh, these tasks in order to save Australia from becoming uh, like the US. And like you, you said, the, these, these methods we can use to stop us from having these, this massive crime problem you see overseas, we see mm. how popular these are with uh, the re-election of Bukele in El Salvador absolutely mm. demolished all of his opposition due to yeah. his tough-on-crime stance. He, mm. And I think that would work very well if the Liberal Party were to implement it here in Australia, tough-on-crime stance, because the media mm. only reports these one or two very sensational uh, crimes, you know, these very mm. emotional crimes within the community, but there are hundreds if not thousands of crimes occurring all across Australia which are easily stoppable with tough-on-crime mm. policies targeting, you know, these communities where crime and, and lawlessness is promoted and ch trying to change these cultures and remove people who are not conducive to living in Australia in, in a manner that, that is expected mm. of them. Yeah, I totally agree. All, all we need is, um, like I said, uh, we need an elite willing to do those tasks. And, and, and you mentioned uh, Bukele in El Salvador, who cracked down on, um, you know, uh, MS-13 and, and, and um, other cartel groups and gangs in El Salvador. Um, and he also won the election, too, by a landslide. 85% of the population voted for him. So that's like a massive, massive victory. Like, that's, it's, it's pretty good. And um, I'm sure the people are happy. But um, an important thing to take into consideration would be this. These people, you know, Sudanese and, you know, uh, I guess people from third world countries in general, specifically Sudanese, because we're talking about them right now, and it, it is relevant to the discussion at hand. These people, they act out in a very savage way. You know, it, the way they treated that poor grandma that got stabbed in front of her, her uh, six-year-old um, gr uh, granddaughter was just animalistic. It's, it's wrong. It was just so grotesque it's, it's disgusting to to even read that article it was horrible you know I, I read it and i was upset i was i was fuming it was it was a very disheartening article to read um but they, they act out in a very animalistic type of way and with the way they are dealing with crime in central and south america the police are very animalistic very brutal back to those people and even in Africa, the way they communicate with each other is it's it's savage, you know, it's savagery. It's 
And I'm not being racist or anything, right? But like, that's the way they deal with their own people. So when these people come to Western nations or they come to Europe or they come to Australia, um, you know, Canada, the US, we have a different way of doing things here. We have a different way of talking to our own people. You know, our own people are able to comprehend, uh, you know, law, laws and, and, and they are able to obey them or learn lessons if they break those laws with the punishments that are, you know, given out to them in case they do. These people don't. They come here and they make a muckery of things, you know, like they come here, they stab women, rape women. Um, they act out in a way that's foreign to us. And police are, like, shocked. I believe Mr. McQueen, I think he was the police commissioner, um, he said in the article that he has never seen anything like that in in his whole career. Like, the way they are committing crime um, is foreign to us, and therefore we, we must act out like they, uh, in a similar fashion, you know? We have to be a little bit more brutal. We're not dealing with our own people. We're dealing with people, we're dealing with people from a different nation that speak a different language culturally, you know, so we have to speak their language. We have to crack down hard on these people like they are in Central and South America. Um, yeah. And yeah. And also, of course, restrict them coming here in the first place, I think, which is much easier exactly. with, our, with us being surrounded by uh, oceans on all sides and uh, not sharing a border with South yeah. America. Um, 100%. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on, Gabe. Uh, really appreciate it. It's always good to chat with you. Um, Same here. Yeah, um, we'll be sure to collaborate in the future. Do you want to plug where everyone can find all of your um, your content? Yeah, sure. So, um, like I tell everyone, uh, go on Twitter or X, uh, type down at, at Real Gabriel Mare. Um, in my bio, there's a link tree. Click on the link tree. Um, in that link, you will have my TikTok, my Instagram, um, and all my socials there, including my YouTube channel. So, yeah, so catch me on there. That makes it um, easier. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, that's why I did it. I mean, you know, I really can't be bothered uh, tagging, um, you know, saying <laughs> all my tags and stuff. So, yeah, so classic, do that. Classic give, Italian give laziness. Classic Mediterranean <laughs> laziness. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just link tree it. <laughs> no, it's yeah, exactly. innovation. It's innovation. Innovation, you know? absolutely. Um, the same for youth. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, everyone go check out Gabe. He's always producing good content. He's going to have some uh, new content in the works, I hear. Uh, just rumors mm-hmm. at this stage. Uh, well, it might have been announced by now. That's going to be uh, He's going to be involved with the National Observer a bit more in the future, which is very exciting to uh, for you guys to know, I'm sure. You're all chomping at the bit saying, please, we need more Gabe content on the National Observer, and your calls have been answered, and it's going to be happening this week. Um, if anyone wanted to follow up more on topics about uh, the crime wave, specifically with uh, the demographics behind it, we recently just released our comprehensive article on the topic. It was created by a, uh, a graduate of maths and science. Uh, he put together all of the graphs within the article. It's called Behind Australia's Crime Wave, and it can be found at thenationalobserver.co which is where you can also find this podcast. So make sure you head over and hit subscribe with your email. Um, Apart from that, thank you guys for joining us and have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, John. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, guys.